Theology Thursday Live, except no substitutes. Um, today we are, maybe I'll finish my eschatological stuff today, um, but maybe not. Um, we are going to be looking at, hey, where's my camera? That's uh, Today we're going to be looking at the 70th week of Daniel and the Battle of Armageddon. So this should be awesome because everybody knows what the Battle of Armageddon is. That's the last day battle and the, the, the end of time. The Antichrist has arrived and done all this stuff and he's made a treaty with Israel and a peace treaty and halfway through it he's made a seven-year peace treaty and halfway through it he he violates the covenant, and then there's a great tribulation. The church is taken out, and um, then Israel is dealt with, and then um, Jesus returns, and the battle of Armageddon takes place when Satan is let loose, and it's the end of times battle, and um, everybody knows the battle of Armageddon and stuff. But what if it's like, maybe that's not what it's talking about, but what if like people didn't really start thinking in those terms, you know, interpreting those um, passages and prophecies hundreds when John Nelson Darby started the whole dispensational theology, which has taken over huge amounts of um, evangelical theology um, through end times prophecy, um, uh, movies, books, camps, conferences. I mean, you want to, it used to be, I don't know if this is the thing anymore or not, but if you wanted to draw a crowd, if you wanted to get a bunch of people um, to, to come to your thing, do a prophecy conference, you know, do end times, antichrist is coming back. I mean, it's, it's sensational. It's scary. It's like, it answers the questions. I need to know what's going to happen in the future. And, um, and I'm not trying to mock people. I guess I am a little, but it's just like, because there's another, until the 1800s, nobody interpreted the scriptures in this way. And then if we look at the scriptures, it's really remarkable. Um, with the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel's prophecy that we're going to look at, and I'm going to try not to spend a whole lot of time today. We'll, hopefully I can get through this. Um, to see what the, the remarkable accuracy and the splendid nature of the new covenant and what Jesus comes to do and, and all these things that happen that Jesus accomplishes um, in, with his, his life and death and resurrection and what it means for all people, not just the church, but Israel as well. And so we're going to look at this um, from the scriptural vantage point. And so maybe you're a dispensationalist. Maybe you see the Battle of Armageddon as being this end times battle or, you know, just in the future still. And um, the Antichrist is doing all these things and stuff. And that's cool, you know. So, um, but I just say, you know, let's look at the way they looked at it before 1800 and um, see if you can't just pray about it and read a little more, think about it, maybe do a little more research if it interests you and, and see... Um, uh, what you discover. And so we can also say with this, which is an important question, so what? What does it even matter um, about these particular end time things? And I think one, it's the um, accuracy of prophecies by Daniel, the accuracy of the Word of God, um, the accuracy of the prophecies of Jesus even in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew um, 21 through 25 and in Luke 
wherever it is in Luke 16, something, 21, maybe. And, um, you know, that when Jesus said these things are going to come upon this generation and these things are soon, he meant it. Soon meant soon, near meant near. And, um, and the things that he prophesied came about. The things that were prophesied in the book of Revelation have come about. And there are probably some things in the book of Revelation that are still future yet. I mean, there are things in the book of Revelation that are still future yet. But some things have already occurred. So it's up to us to know, okay, God's revealed this stuff. Let's figure it out, and what difference will it make? Some of it makes a difference in that. Well, let's see. Maybe spend so much time in the build-up that we end up not getting to it. Let's just get to it, um, and we can have conversations about these things. Anybody ever wants to do such as that? Okay, I was trying to decide whether to start with Armageddon or with the 70th week of Daniel. I think what I'm going to do is. Armageddon, and then we'll look at the timing of it. Like, what is the Battle of Armageddon, and um, and then when is it supposed to happen? All right. So if you go to Revelation, Revelation chapter sixteen, let's start at let's see, verse one. This is in the bowls. I'd see in the Book of Revelations a series of uh, looking at the the history of the world, the judgment of the world. Um, in a series of looking at from different perspectives. This is the, the bowls. Um, this is a sixth bowl of wrath. And let me see where we all skip down to. Um, let's do it like this. Read um, Revelation 16.1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's wrath. And so then the first angel, second angel, the third angel, they're pouring out these bowls. The fourth angel, the fifth angel, the sixth angel in verse 12 pours out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its waters dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east in verse 13. And remember, this is um, apocalyptic language. It's fantastic language. It's symbolic language. Uh, Revelation is not the only thing written in apocalyptic genre. There's other things. Some of the Old Testament is written in that way too. Daniel um, in particular. Uh, so, I mean, some parts of Daniel. So, verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and now the mouth of the beast, and now the mouth of the false prophet. So you have the false trinity going on there. Three unclean spirits, like frogs, and they are spirits of demons. And some of the stuff you'll see in this too it echoes back to Exodus with the plagues of Egypt and stuff. So these are spirits of demons, and they're coming out of this false trinity, and they're performing signs. You got to be careful of that. Even Satan can perform false signs, lying wonders, which go out to the kings of the whole world and gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. In other words, you know, that's the righteousness of Christ. And they gathered them together at the place, which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Okay, so first little thing, you can see the Haramageddon or Armageddon. And so, and that makes a difference. Haramageddon is the mountain of Megiddo and Armageddon is the city of Megiddo. So a little aspirate, 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 how much of a... The difference it makes um and i'm gonna say it really makes more difference to be the city of megiddo megiddon because um it's a symbolic representation of israel at the time that the jewish people who would have read this at the time would have instantly have known what we're talking about with megiddo 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 um so what you would say is you know when you hear megiddo megiddo what do you think 
you know, we think Battle of Armageddon. Well, that would not have been what you would have thought before this was written. So Megiddo would have been another place, and it would have been right in the minds of the Jewish people at the tip of their tongues and minds. So we'll talk about it in a second. Um, and then the seventh angel comes and he, he throws his bowl in the air and there's a loud voice from the temple saying it's done and there's flashes and lightnings and sounds and thunders. The great city is split in three parts and so it goes on with um, you know, the severity of judgment that takes place. And I think what we're talking about here with the severity of judgment is, is, is the judgment that took place on Israel, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant um, system where Jesus... Um, put an end to that, and in his blood, the new covenant is placed. And then A.D. 70, Rome comes in and destroys the temple, destroys Israel. But we're going to see the timeline when we get to this, when we get to the 70th week of Daniel, that shows you that it, we get right up to this time. So it just makes sense. So, all right, first century battle between Rome and Israel is what we're looking at. But if you were to look at Judges, Chapter 519, I'm using my phone app, forgive me. Judges 519, um, the kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Hanach, near the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder and silver. Okay, so this is um, Barak and Deborah, the judges Barak and Deborah. They fight against, um, who are they fighting against here? The Canaanite armies, and they win. And so that's the first time you see the, it's the plains of Megiddo, really. So then the second time, and this is the one that would have really have come to mind for the Hebrew people at this time, is Second Kings. Second Kings. Sometimes it's quicker in an actual Bible. There it is. Second Kings, um, chapter 23. First, we'll start at 29, see where that gets us. Um, all right, so this is talking about, we'll go 28. The rest of the acts of Josiah, King Josiah, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings in, of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went to meet him, and when Pharaoh Necho saw him, he killed him at Megiddo. Megiddo, Megiddo. That's the plain of Megiddo. But now we're talking about the city of Megiddo in Revelation. His servants drove his body in a chariot from Megiddo. He brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And then the people of the land took Jehoaz, son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his place. That's a big deal what happened because after this, um, it was immediate downfall, a quick spell spiral of apostasy and destruction um, and bondage was swift and unchangeable um, to Jerusalem after this. And if you look at Second Chronicles, which is another account of this, so Second Chronicles, stay with me. See, there it is, Second Chronicles um, 35. I think we started in 20, 2 Chronicles 35, 20. This is, um, so it's just a, another account of this happening. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, so Josiah was a good king in the southern kingdom, um, Nico, the king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish. And so the battle of Carchemish is a 
yeah, I mean, you, you study less when time you study. Um, Old Testament church, Old Testament history, and on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to engage him, but Nico sent messengers to him saying, What have I done? What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house with which I am at war, and God has ordered me to hurry. Um, stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me so that he will not destroy you. But Josiah would not turn away from him. So basically, Josiah is disobeying the word of God in this particular place, and he decides to go make war anyway. So he didn't listen to the words of Nico from the mouth of God, um, but came to make war on the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, I'm badly wounded. And so his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in the second chariot which he had and brought him to Jerusalem where he died and was buried in the tombs with his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah, and all the male and female singers speak about Josiah and their lamentations to this day. And they made them an ordinance in Israel. Behold, they are also written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his deeds of devotion were written in the law of the Lord. And his acts, first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings. And then chapter 36, it just goes down. Each of these kings are just bad and evil. And finally, they're taken into the Babylonian captivity and stuff. So the people of Israel, when they hear Megiddo, they recognize this was the defeat of King Josiah, who went against Pharaoh Necho and should not have done it, was told not to do it. He was disobedient, and he was mourned for um, generations to come. So when the battle of Megiddo, what you would do when you hear that as a person reading um, Revelation in the time that it was written, your mind would have gone to that. And it's like, okay, so this is judgment. This is a, <laughs> are we going to listen to God this time? You know, who's the bad guys here? You know, are we going to be seen, is Israel going to be seen as the covenant breakers and, and not listening to God? Or is Israel going to be the, the covenant keepers? You know, which, um, what's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon? And what we're going to see is at the Battle of Armageddon, this is the Roman armies, the command of God, come in and judge Israel at this Battle of Armageddon. And um, it seems, I mean, again, this is the standard interpretation for centuries until the 1800s. Um, so quote uh, this commentary, Israel remembered Megiddo as a place where God had vented his divine wrath, wrath against rebellion, whether ex exhibited by Israel or foreign power. All right, so why would God do that to, to, to Israel during the time of just before Christ or the time of Christ? So Matthew 22 Matthew chapter 22. This is all leading up in context to the um, Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. So you get to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, and let's look at, let's see what verse I want to start at, 7. Um, Matthew 22, it has these seven woes to scribes and Pharisees. So he's already told these parables against them, and he's like, you know, you're going to be judged. Um, this is the final generation. Everything has been building up to this, and the time is now. And, and unless you bow the knee to the Son of Man, you're going to be judged. And so he gets to this, um, verse 7. Um, he's telling this parable about the, um, the wedding feast. And the um, so it says, verse 7, the king is enraged and sent, well, which which parable is this? This is the uh, yeah the marriage feast. Um, I'll start at verse one just to make it make sense. Um, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave his 
Son. So you think God the Father and God the Son here, Jesus. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. And again, he set, sent out other slaves saying, um, tell those who've been invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted um, livestock and all butcher are all butchered and everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. So this is, he's foretelling what he's going to do um, as he gets to this point. And if you go to Matthew, oh, look at that, Matthew chapter 23, so this is the, you know, the build up, and these are the, um, the eight woes. When we get to 23, and let's start at... See if I took a note without him, then just find it here. Matthew 23. Let's see. It's all woe describes the Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, woe describes the Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites. See, that'd be a good little rap song somebody could do. Um, all right, let's start right here with this um, number 20, chapter 20. <laughs> Matthew 23, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the mountains of the righteous and say, if we'd been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Jesus Christ talking. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel. That goes back to the to Genesis to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the temple and the altar in Israel's history truly I say to you NCS from A to Z truly I say to you all these things will come upon this generation so he's saying it's another thing that dispensationalists will do it'll take this generation to be like way in the future um, the generation that it finally comes on but he's saying this generation I'm talking to the generation that's currently in control of of the temple Jesus house he comes into the triumphal entry he he cleans out the the, the temple he he uh, drives out the money changers he says you've made my house a house of thieves and he's calling the the scribes and the Pharisees who are supposed to be taking care of these things he's calling them hypocrites and uh, brood of vipers and all these things this is my house and I'm coming in it's supposed to be my father's house and then um, you know he's saying the judgment is going to be coming and it was all prophesied. So that gets us to Daniel. So let's go to Daniel chapter 9. And so this gives us our timeline that goes right up to it. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 34. Sorry, 24. Daniel 9, 24. So he says... Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, 
to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay, what's that add up to? 69. And these are prophetically weeks of years. And so you multiply by seven and you get the actual number of years. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood even the end to the end there will be war desolations are determined he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wings of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. And so, you know, you also have the, the abomination of desolation, which is mentioned in Matthew chapter 24. It has to do with this. And a lot of this gets all, just stay with me and think about these things in a bit. Listen, I had to get my calculator out. I was following some other, you know, I didn't come up with this all on my own. This is what had, has been taught and still taught by um, people for, you know, up until 1800 of, Almost everybody. Dispensational theology says the end times Antichrist will make a seven-year peace agreement with Israel. So he'll get up to this last um, seven years and then to the 60, 70th year here. And they'll, they'll start the seven-year tribulation period. The church is out. There's a rapture and all this stuff. So if you take 70 weeks, so 70 times 7 is 49. 7 times 7 is 49. So 490 years. So when do you start that? And so, um, and it says in Daniel, when do we start this? He says, 70 weeks are decreed to make an end for sin. You are to know and discern. Where does it start? The beginning of okay. 70 weeks are decreed for your people to make an end of sin, to iniquity, and bring everlasting rights to the vision. You are, then have 62 weeks. Try it again. Um, 70 weeks have been decreed for you and your holy city to make an end sin, make an end for the end, to seal that division of prophecy. So you are to know and discern that from the, okay, verse 25, so that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, there'll be um, seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's your 69 weeks. So what is agreed to is that um, in Ezra 7-7, seven, seven, it was the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And so Ezra is allowed to go back and the people of Israel are allowed to go back and rebuild the temple. And at this, in Ezra 7-7, seven, seven, King Artaxerxes actually gives Israel self control, self-rule. They become a nation again. And so then they begin the work of rebuilding the temple. And this happens in 457 B.C. Okay, so this is where your math comes in. 457 BC. Um, if you're going, so then let's go seven more weeks. And if you looked at John 2.20, what you see is um, Jesus is talking. He's saying, I can, you know, there's not going to be a stone uh, left. You know, within a week, I'll tear down this temple, something like that. And he says, how can you do this? Um, it took 46 years to rebuild this tem temple. 46 years to rebuild the temple. So when they're speaking, they're saying it was about 46 years ago 
Um, so seven times seven is 49. So they're within that framework in this first seven weeks rebuilding this temple. Okay, so that gets you to the first place. And then to get you all the way to the end of the 69 weeks, that has to take you up to AD 27. Okay, so if you go from 457 BC and you go um, 483 years, this is 69 times 7, um, that gets you to the year AD 27. Did anything happen in AD 27? Yes, in A.D. 27, it was the 15th year of Tiberius. And this is a historic matter. You can look it up if you know how to do these things. And that's recorded in Luke 3, 5. And that is when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. See how this works out just beautifully? So from the time of the rebuilding of the temple to the time of the anointing of Jesus Christ um, is the 69th week. Okay, so now you got another week, another seven years from the time he's baptized, another seven years. What happens? Three and a half years into his ministry, um, he's crucified. And then there's another three and a half years, and what happens is Stephen is, um, is stoned. Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father when this happens, and probably within that same year, Paul is also um, converted, and then that's it. Because Israel has filled up, just as Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees, um, this is it. You're, you're filling up the cup of wrath from your fathers, from um, righteous Abel all the way to Zerachiah that you have killed. Um, you're going to pay the penalty for this. You only have this much time to repent, and then it was cut off. And what we see within 40 years, the temple's destroyed. And, and God has even given them this gracious time. At, after the stoning of Stephen, when the, when the sacrifice has been cut off, so remember that was what happens. Think about this with Jesus. This is what Je think about Jesus, not the Antichrist being the one who does this, but that is actually Jesus who is fulfilling these things in Israel. So. Um, uh, 25, you are to know and discern it from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again. Okay, So they did it in the plaza and the moat, even in times of distress. And there was great distress. And, and Ezra it talks about all the things that were going on. Verse 26, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. It says 62, but it's plus 7. So it's the end of the 69th week. We're at the 70th week. Um, and after the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, which ends up happening, and its end will come with a flood. He will make a firm covenant. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, he makes a firm covenant. He cuts off sacrifices. Um, well, I got ahead of myself. Verse 27, he makes a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he'll be put to a stop. He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering at his, at his um, crucifixion. Um, and on the wings of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even the complete destruction, which is decreed and is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So that's what is brought in at that in AD 70. It is, the temple is has been brought desolate, that temple, but the temple that was rebuilt that Jesus prophesied is the church in which Israel is the root and the vine we are engrafted in. And so that Jesus Christ is the true temple, that Jesus showed all this and that the temple that was it was a, a shadow and a figure of the christ who is to come so here he is the christ and now we live in this time of um 
sharing the gospel with people and being calling people to Christ. And, and we share this all over the world um, to everyone. And so what are we waiting for now? Um, as we see, you know, Reagan actually um, in the 80s, when um, he was um, in, in conflict with, with Russia at the time, he had, I mean, Hal Lindsey, by the way, is like what made, I don't know, billions of dollars on his book, Late Great Planter. I don't know how much money he made on that thing, but it was one of the best-selling um, Christian books outside the Bible for a long time. And um, Reagan even said, he says, I think we may be, this might be the Battle of Armageddon that's coming up. This might be, he says, I can kind of see it, you know, so he, he knew the prophecies and he saw it. So people for a long time have been prophesying these things, you know, this is, this is what's happening. And, um, you know, so what are we doing now? You know, we see all this turmoil in the world. We see, um, you know, fearful things. And so we're like, okay, the rapture's coming. Well, all right, whatever you don't believe about the rapture, Jesus is going to come back. Okay, and then that's going to be it. Then end of the time, Jesus comes back. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? You share the gospel. You fight like crazy to bring about righteousness in this world. You fight like crazy that the kingdom of God bears the the the. the is the standard of justice that is to take place in this world that we call all men of all nationalities, all ethnicities to repent of their sin, and we're all sinful. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what time you lived in this world. It doesn't matter. All have the same heart, and it's deceitfully wicked, and we need Jesus Christ, every person, every color. And then when Christ comes, we're all um, brothers in Christ. And until that time, you're brothers because we have one common ancestor with, with Adam. And then even through Noah, we even get, we all go back to that. So we're at least cousins at that point. Um, that's what we call people to. The gospel. Repent. Believe. Forgive. Have mercy. Um, don't go out rioting and get in, in mobs and allow yourself to do the most horrific things you want to do and to be able to get away with it. Um, that's that's of the evil one, okay? Don't do that. Don't encourage that. Um, preach the gospel to yourself, and then you can preach it to other people. But if we're waiting for the battle of Armageddon, then you're either going to be scared to death anytime anybody starts talking about war, which you should be, or we're going to be saying, we need to hurry up and get this war to come so we can get the rapture and get out of here. Or we huddle in our little cloisters. We huddle in, we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're going to get raptured out anyway, so it's like, good, we won't have to go through this. It's like, well, you know, live life as if Jesus could return any moment. So you can be held accountable for what you're doing at this very second. You will be held accountable, okay? Um, and if you're in Christ, um, you're hidden in his righteousness. But there will be things. There will be, you know, I mean, there'll be rewards. And if you're doing things that are, and you're a believer and you're not doing things in the name of Christ that are Christ-like and um, out of faith, then that stuff's just going to be burned up. And you get nothing for that. But you have to be careful because you may be fooling yourself if you're living too far outside of the the sovereign will of God that you're not a believer whatsoever. You know, it's by your fruit you shall be known. And we should have the outworking of our faith. We look for that stuff, you know, with fear and trembling. Make sure there's an outworking of our faith. Um, so that's what we had to do. And so as you're looking for the outworking of your faith with fear and trembling, I'll make sure nobody can boast. We boast, we boast in the name of Christ. Um, I think it's a time for the church to be able to say, you know, we're <laughs> believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
There is a righteousness. There's a way to live life in scriptures. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And we need to proclaim those things that are right and wrong. And then you got to be gracious and you got to make sure you're not... You don't come across as like you're just a jerk, you know? It's like, this is wrong. And then Jesus is like, you know, you out there with a big old board and you're trying to get specks out of people's eyes. And some people have boards in their eyes, but, you know, you got to make sure that you deal gently with people. If there are people who are um, who are hurt, if there are people who, you know, you, you deal compassionately with people. I mean, if there's people out there who are just slinging axes and swords and shooting people, you know, you'd be taken out. You know, that's to protect other people. Um, but you don't just, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You need to get in your Bible. If you're in a church that's not teaching the Bible and you're able to ask questions of your leadership at church and say, what about this and what about that? And they don't help you answer and be able to say sometimes, that's a good question. Let's go to scripture and see what we can find out. If they kind of tell you, shove you off, or if it's all about how you behave and how you look and how you dress and all this stuff, it's like, man, Satan's good at that. You know, he comes as an angel of light. So be careful of that. Um, be in a church that believes the word of God and digs into the word of God and digs deep into God, leans into one another. Um, and you also have to be careful about churches that um, throw themselves into community action. You know, it's like that's what the gospel is, community action. It's like, no, the gospel will have that outworking. You know, people in the community that love Jesus Christ that see something that ought to be done and they start trying to motivate people to do it and call people to do these things. But the main work of the church is not social work. The main work of the church is to let people know that God is king and you need to bow the knee to him and that he's coming in judgment at Megiddo. You know, this thing happened. God judges, um, will judge people. Um, but there's such a great and glorious salvation that we should be in tears for people who don't see it. Not like holier than thou people who are just think we're it, you know. So, you know, that's the hard part is being able to be Christ-like. And the sinners and the prostitutes and these people, they were always hanging around Jesus. <laughs> they were just like so much so that people were like, look at them hanging around Jesus. Like, what kind of person is Jesus? And Jesus is like, better than you. You know, it's like at least these people are coming to Christ. At least they're talking to me. You talk a talk, but you don't walk a walk. So uh, and then Jesus will tell people go and sin no more. That's just have to there's a there's a we have perverted this in a lot of ways in a lot of places, but there have been some people have not that are faithful Christians. Um but you need to hold your churches accountable for love and for being in the word. You had to figure out how do you speak the truth and you worship in spirit and truth. All right, that's the end of my rant. Um, I don't know. Read the Bible, study it, pray. Um, see things that make you angry on TV and the news and it's like make sure it's a righteous indignation and then pray for those people. And then, you know, see, how do you spread, what's truth? How does truth, how's the light, you know, how is that going to dispel this stuff? You know, that's what it's, um, all, all what, the, what the antagonizers want to do is antagonize, you know, it just won't stir up trouble. And, it, and there's plenty of anger and trouble in our hearts that if we want to give into the flesh and give into sinful nature, man, we're all in it. Okay, you be very careful. Self-control is part of the fruit of the spirit. All right, I now said I'm done, but now I'm really done. All right, God, <laughs> be encouraged. Okay, God is on His throne, and and He's still calling people to Himself. God bless.